So it's Ezra chapter 1, and we'll just take the first verse again tonight. Ezra chapter 1 and verse 1. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing. We'll just end there. And may God be pleased to bless his word. We'll take a moment to bow for prayer, please. Our Father, we wait in thy presence in Jesus' name. It's good to be on talking terms with God. It's good to know that we can speak with him and that he continues to speak to us. He continues to presence himself with us when we congregate as the promise tells us. God is here and that to bless us. We thank thee for Ezra. We thank thee for this scribe, this priest that God raised up to carry out a tremendous work for the people of God way back then. We thank thee for the man Cyrus raised up of God to issue this proclamation, this decree, allowing the exiles from Judah to return home. What a mercy that was, that God used an ungodly man to further his own divine purposes. And God is still able to do the same thing. He's still at work in the world, even working through politicians and kings and princes and kings, unknown to them. They are fulfilling his divine purposes because this world is controlled by a God who is in control of history, the author of history, the God of miracles, the God of mercy, the God who created all things out of nothing. Nothing is too great for him to carry through or carry forward. Thank God he knows the end from the beginning because he has planned it thus. And we are in the hands of him tonight as we study how God worked in the past. May we glean from this how God is still able to work today on behalf of his people as he chastened Israel and then the people of Judah. So he chastens his people today. But at the same time as he restored Judah, brought them back to the promised land, so he restores our souls. Thank God for that. Abide with us now. Bless our time around the word. And we will be careful to give thee the praise, the honor, and the glory for Jesus' sake, we pray. Amen. Now, what I want to do this evening is to bring the second part of the introduction to the book of Ezra. I still have a few more facts and details and information uh, to give to you in the hope that you will have a better idea of the times of Ezra, what is really going on in this particular book. And let me begin by saying that the book of Ezra provides a much needed link in the historical record of the Jewish people. When their final king, a man called Zedekiah, was dethroned and captured and sent with his people into exile Judas or Judah 
as an independent nation cease to exist. And the book of Ezra provides an account of the Jews regathering, of their struggle to survive, and of their efforts to rebuild what had been destroyed. And through his narrative, Ezra declared that they were still God's people in spite of his chastening hand, and that God had not forgotten them. That must have been a great encouragement to these people who had suffered so much. And through Ezra, whose name means help, what a help he was to the people of God to bring uh, this encouraging word to let them know that God still cared, that God still thought about them. So the people of Judah, we've learned this last time, I trust you haven't forgotten all the information. The people of Judah have been carried away into exile in Babylon in three different stages. 606, remember what we said about Daniel. Daniel was taken to Babylon at that particular time. Then the second stage was 597 and Ezekiel, he was taken to Babylon at that time. And then 586, Zedekiah, who was the last king of Judah, he also was taken to Babylon. And as the book of Ezra opens, it is now 538 BC. And the Persian king Cyrus has just issued a proclamation that the exiles can return home. Babylon, the people who carried away the people into captivity, fell to the Medes and Persians in 539, the year before. So it's a year after he defeated Babylon that he issued the proclamation allowing the people of Judah to return home. And all throughout the Jewish settlements, the word spreads, we are free to go. Our exile is over. We can return home. The prophets were right. God's word was true. This is exactly what he said he would do. And he has kept his word. He has fulfilled his promise. And now we are free to return home. And for the next 100 years, the Jew, uh, 100 years, various groups traveled along on dusty roads from Babylon and Persia back to Jerusalem. And Ezra and Nehemiah, we watch these prodigal people. We have a picture uh, in the Old Testament of a prodigal. In the New Testament, the prodigal, when the far country comes to himself and he returns home. In the Old Testament, it's a prodigal people, the people of Judah, that have been carried away. And now Ezra and Nehemiah watch these prodigals return as they return back to the land that they cherished and loved. It was a homecoming for the people of Judah. Now, I have a few things that I want to leave with you tonight. It's thinking especially about why there was an exile. Why did they end up in Babylon in the first place? I want to think about the location of the exile. Now, during the period covered by uh, Hebrew history of the Old Testament, Israel came into conflict with four great world powers. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, and Persia. Later, they came into conflict with Greece 
Alexander the Great, and then the Romans. And you know the story of Christ's birth. The Lord Jesus Christ was born, and at that time, the Roman army was the army of occupation, and they were hated by the Jewish people. Now, we think of Egypt to begin with, uh, with its long history, uh, and Egypt was used by God during the formative years of the people of Israel. They're called the children of Israel, and that simply means that they were the children of Jacob. The children of Jacob became the children of Israel. In Israel, the people, we know that story, how Jacob went down, the time of Joseph. Egypt was the place where Israel grew up and grew from being a family to become a nation. They went down in as Jacob's family and in the providence of God, when they left, they were a nation. Two million people. Around 70 when they went down as a family. Over the years, they grew, became a nation. Two million, two and a half million people. Now, the people were preserved in Egypt uh, during the time of Joseph. Then another king came after Joseph who persecuted the people of God. So they were preserved, then they were persecuted, and then in the providence of God, they prospered. I have already mentioned the family grew into a nation. They prospered in spite of the persecution. God was with them and God blessed them. So we think about Egypt and how God dealt with Egypt. We mentioned that on Sunday morning in Exodus chapter 14. The next great power was the power of Assyria, an implacable foe of Israel. They were fierce uh, warriors, uh, ruthless. They were cruel. They were proud. They were a terror uh, to their neighbors. Now, Nineveh, located on the Tigris River, was started by Nimrod. He was a great hunter before the Lord, a persecutor of the people of God. You read about him in Genesis chapter 10. And Nineveh became the greatest capital of this world's first superpower, which actually became the Assyrian Empire. And the Syrian Empire finally brought to an end the nationhood of the ten, ten northern tribes known as Israel in 722 BC. And uh, the Assyrian power lasted for almost 300 years until 612, when the capital was taken by the Babylonians. When they scattered, when the ten tribes were scattered, uh, and they became absorbed in the Babylonian Empire. Now, you hear people today talking about the ten lost tribes. I don't believe that for one moment. The ten tribes were absorbed into the Babylonian Empire, and then when the people received permission to return, not only did the people of Judah return, but the people who were scattered there from the tribes, the ten northern tribes were there as well. So they're not lost tribes. I think of uh, Luke chapter 2, and we read there about Anna. She's of the tribe of Asher. So uh, some people from Asher uh, survived. I think of Acts chapter 26, I think it is in verse 7. Paul talks about the, ten tri or the 12 tribes, our 12 tribes. Uh, and this refutes the idea of British Israelitism, uh, that uh, 
the ten lost tribes are Americans and Englishmen. That's nonsense. It's not according to the scriptures. These people became absorbed in the Babylonian Empire. And then, in due course, they were able to uh, come back to their own land and to do a work for God. Now, Nineveh located in what is now modern Iraq. So we have an idea where all this was going on. Iraq, Iran direction. They had turned to God. Remember when Jonah went in chapter 3 of his book, he, God sent him to Nineveh, but he, he ran in the opposite direction. God had to deal with him. He had to be swallowed up by a great fish and then vomited out in the dry land. And they repented. Now, remember Jonah in chapter 4? He's a strange man. He sat outside the, the, the city of Nineveh. And I suppose he was hoping that God would destroy Nineveh because he knew what the Assyrians would do to his people Israel. That's why he's not really enthused when he preached and God sent a revival to the people of Nineveh and they repented and sought the Lord at that time. But later on, they were judged by God and they fell. Suddenly Nineveh fell. Destroyed later. Nineveh is mentioned in Nahum and Zephaniah. So Nineveh has fallen. The capital of the great Assyrian empire has fallen. And Egypt and Babylon were seeking world supremacy now. And the new king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, defeated the Egyptians in battle. And then he marched on toward Judah. And he took away Jehoiakim in 606 with Daniel. He came again then in 597, took away Ezekiel. And then he placed as a puppet king, King Zedekiah, to sit on the throne of Judah. He was the last king. I've mentioned this before. And they, he made him swear an oath of allegiance. But he rebelled. Nehemiah therefore returned and reduced Jerusalem to rubble and set the temple on fire in 586. After maybe a two-year, 18-month siege during the time of famine. And, uh, they became cannibals at that time to survive. We think about the siege of London Derry. You think about uh, uh, those behind the walls that were selling and buying rats and cats to eat to survive. When you think about this in the history of the people of Israel, you read through the book of Lamentations. Jeremiah wrote Lamentations. He was there. He saw what happened. You read Jeremiah chapter 52 and you read about the horrific things that happened to God's people when the Babylonians came. Zedekiah fled but was captured and he was forced to watch his sons being slaughtered. And then he had his own eyes put out and he was carried off with his people to Babylon, 50 miles uh, south of modern Baghdad. Jeremiah was also taken prisoner by the Babylonians and they showed mercy to him. But then he was carried to Egypt because a lot of the Jews looked to Egypt still for help and deliverance. Carried to Egypt by the fleeing Jews, and he was stoned to death. A man who had been preaching the word behind the walls, preaching to the people for years, and telling them to surrender. This is the will of God to surrender. You're going to go to Babylon, build your houses down there, plant your fields. You're going to be there for a long time. So he's stoned to death by his own people. What a man of God he was. And they was there and he was heartbroken. And you read Lamentations, and that's really what it is about, a lament about the fall of the city and fall of Jerusalem. 
So the kingdom was over and the times of the Gentiles had commenced. The people were forced to travel in around 900 to 1,000 miles across the Arabian desert to the land of idols and bondage. Land of idols and bondage. But the interesting thing about it is this. It's interesting when Israel fell to the Assyrians in 722 and then Judah fell to the Babylonians in 586, they were led, both of them, into exile. And the people were deported to the very countries whose idols they had worshipped. That's interesting. And as Israel pursued the idols of the nations, first their hearts journeyed into the far country. That's where it all begins. The heart was in the far country. And then they followed actually, literally. And that's the way it is with us, you know. Backsliding begins in the heart, and then before we know, we actually get involved in that particular sin. It begins in the heart. So they were judged because of idolatry. And now the Lord allows these two uh, great nations, Israel and Judah, to be carried away to the land where the people worship these very idols that they had given themselves to. Oh, the heart was in the far country before they ended up there in the far country. And the exile, the rest of them followed Jewish captives and they lived in towns and villages along the Kibar River and were allowed to live in their communities together, farm and perform other labors to earn income. Many Jews actually became wealthy over the period of time, of captivity. So we thought about the location. A lot to take in. I might get this stuff into note form as well so that you'll have it there at your fingertips. I trust you'll use these things. I'm trying to teach you something about uh, this wonderful book. When I get discouraged, I turn to Ezra and Nehemiah. That's my spirits. I get discouraged many a time. So therefore, I read a lot of Ezra and Nehemiah. Maybe these two books will be books for you to study well, privately. Learn the lessons well. So we thought about the location, but then we think about the, the length of the exile. Uh, now, between Second Chronicles and the book of Ezra, there is that period of 70 years, the length of the Babylonian captivity. I have been saying this now before, and I will continue to say these things in the hope that it will sink in and we'll get a better idea of what's going on in this particular book. And this 70-year captivity was uh, predicted by Jeremiah, the man that we mentioned just a few minutes ago. I'm not going to look at it now because I have a lot of other things to say before we come to an end. But you think about Jeremiah chapter 25 and also in chapter 29. And there even uh, at the end of Second uh, Chronicles chapter 36, verse 21, uh, we read, she kept Sabbath to fulfill threescore and ten years. That's the exact time that Jeremiah spoke to the people about build your houses, plant your seeds, look after your farms, because you're going to be there for a long time, 70 long years. And as far as I can make out, the 70-year period of time began with the first invasion of Nebuchadnezzar in 606, and it continued until the return of the remnant in 536. Now, uh, Cyrus issued the proclamation 538, but by the time they got back and they began the building program, it was 536, or 70 years. And at that time then, uh, the altar was rebuilt, 
they're getting back to God, you see, after their backsliding, after their chastening, and the first thing they do, they build an altar. Why? They've got to offer a sacrifice. There's Christ, you see. They've got to worship around the altar. Oh, they've been restored. God has been merciful to them. He's promised this in his book. You get away from me, I discipline you. Then you come back and you start at the altar. Begin at the cross. Begin with the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we get discouraged and get down in the dumps. The best thing to revive us is to look again to the Lamb of God. Look to Christ. Look to the wonderful Savior who has done all things well. And during this seven-year period of time, uh, the, the land was laid waste and Jerusalem lay in ruins. A good part of the city had been burnt with fire. Oh, the people were devastated. Just the, the, the poor and, and, the, uh, and the sick and the aged were left. What a place it must have been. And so it was until 536. And when the seventh year period ended, God turned to captivity. You think about Job. You read through the book of Job, and Job's asking questions. Why this? Why did this happen to my family? And so on. And my, 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 my animals, and, and, and so on. He's looking for answers. And he remains faithful. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And then when you come to near the end, chapter 42, it may be around verse 10 or something, the Bible says, the Lord turned the captivity of Job. And you know what happened? The Lord gave Job twice as much as he'd lost. That's the way God works. You read through that. But, well, it's a hard book to read through, but uh, for me and my little mind, I can read the first two chapters easily and maybe the last two chapters and you get the gist of what's going on. But the Lord turned the captivity of Jacob when he prayed, when he prayed for his friends, so-called friends. They were getting the knife and every opportunity, but he prayed for them, and the Lord turned his captivity. And you can read that for yourself, how God doubled up in everything that they lost. God's no man's debtor, you know. He giveth more grace. So we see here, the, the return. This should be distinguished, of course, from the captivity of uh, suffered by the northern kingdom in 722. That's something completely different. That was uh, Israel. They were carried away first to Assyria. The ten tribes, known as the, the northern kingdom, Israel. Judah was the, the southern kingdom, consisting of the true tribes. They continued on about 130 years after the, the fall of uh, Samaria. And they should have learned from God's dealings with the northern kingdom. Now, a broader theological purpose is also revealed even in this, because God keeps his promise. And through the prophets, God had ordained that this people would return to their land after 70 years of exile. And Nazareth's account proclaims that God kept his word. He always does, you know. That's what we're told here, that it might be fulfilled by the mouth of of Jeremiah, that it might be fulfilled, the Lord served up Cyrus. God keeps his word. And if God has given you a promise, it may have been years ago, but listen, he never forgets a promise. So, we've talked about two things. The location of the exile, the length of the exile, and then, of course, there's the liberation from the exile. So, Babylon... And Nebuchadnezzar, the great oppressor, they had shot their bolt, and now a new empire, Persia, had taken center stage under Cyrus the Great. 
And over 150 years, maybe 170 years before this, before the captivity, Isaiah, and we'll talk a little bit more about Cyrus later on, maybe a couple of messages later on. God named Isaiah, uh, Isaiah named Cyrus as the king who would issue a proclamation allowing the people of Judah to return to Jerusalem. God wrote his name in, in his word. Isaiah in chapter 44 and chapter 45 mentions this man by name 150 years before he's ever born as the one who would issue the decree allowing the people to return to build the temple. You see, God is omniscient. He knows all things, but we've got to think about this as well. He plans all things from the beginning. He knows all things because he plans all things. God planned this. Now, it's hard for the human mind to, to uh, accept this and get uh, our minds around it, but that's the way it is. God planned it to happen, therefore he knew it was going to happen. <coughs> Things we cannot see as yet, he can speak of as though already accomplished. And one of the first acts of this Persian king was to decree the return of the exiled Jews. And the way was now clear for the exiles to return and rebuild the temple. And it also, as I mentioned before, the exile, the carrying away was in three stages. So the return to Jerusalem was also in three stages, 536, 458, and 444. The first return was under a man called Zerubbabel. What did he do? He built the temple. The second was led by Ezra, a much smaller group of pilgrims. He reformed the people through teaching the law. And the third recorded uh, was uh, in Nehemiah, and the walls were rebuilt. So God begins on the inside. He begins with the temple. He begins with, with worship. And then the people are reformed through the teaching and the minister of the word of God. And then the next thing, the walls are up, their separation. So they get themselves right with God. They're under the ministry and the teaching of the word of God. And the next thing they do, they separate themselves from the world. That's the way that God works. He worked away back then. He still works in the same way. There have been times throughout history in which the overruling, overruling providence of God has been manifest. And God has compelled princes, he's compelled rulers to do as well. That's an encouraging fact as well. We can only describe them as defining moments in history. And there have been many defining moments in history. God can and does overrule human designs and cause all things to work together for good to those that love God. So the liberation came. Proclamation has been proclaimed by 38. Babylon is out of the way now. Nebuchadnezzar's gone. He's been gone for a long time. His grandson Belshazzar was the man in charge when the city fell to the Persians. And then finally, there's the life after the exile. Well, there's always a life after restoration. On the return to the homeland, the temple was rebuilt, I said this, by Zerubbabel. And chapters 1 through 6 of Ezra deal with the building of the temple. Ezra doesn't appear on the scene until chapter 7. That's an amazing thing. Uh, the book's named after him. It's very possible he wrote this particular book. But he's not mentioned in the story until chapter 7. So the book's divided into two, chapters 1 through 6. It deals with the, the building of the temple. And then chapter 7 and 10 
Ezra is there to establish uh, worship again and so on to give attention to these things. It took Zerubbabel 20 years to build the temple. It began in 536 and then uh, they, they had some problems. They got the altar laid. Uh, the, the foundation wasn't laid. They, they laid the foundation then and then the enemy opposed it. And for a number of years to 520, nothing was done, 15, 16 years until two prophets arrived in the scene, Haggai and Zechariah. They preached the word of God. The people were stirred. Revival came. They started to build again. And within five years, 515 or thereabouts, 516, the temple was up. This is what they did after they came back. This is what they did after they returned home. The captivity was God's judgment on the nation of Israel. Think about Nehemiah. He came back maybe, uh, well, between the, the, the days of, between chapters 1 through 6 of Ezra, there are 60 years uh, until chapter uh, 7, 58 years exactly. It's around 60 years between chapter 6 and chapter 7 of the book of Ezra, when Ezra came to spur on the work of God. And then 12 or 13 years after that, Nehemiah appeared in the scene to build the walls of Jerusalem. That was a mammoth task. He did it in 52 days. He did it in 52 days. Just a little over in six, about seven weeks thereabouts, he had the, he had the walls done in spite of the opposition. The purposes of God may at times seem to tarry, but they cannot be thwarted. And they can never be abandoned. The captivity was God's judgment on the, the nation. It marked the end of the monarchy. It, it signaled a total eclipse of Israel's power and prestige among the nations. Israel had become a, a, a byword, no longer the head but the tail, as far as the nations were concerned. The times of the Gentiles had commenced. Nevertheless, the purposes of God go marching on. It's amazing that God allowed Jerusalem to be burned, his temple to be destroyed, his people to be carried into captivity, to travel 900 or 1,000 miles across the Arabian desert to the land of idols, to idolatry. But the Lord remembered his people in that foreign land. And during their hardships, God was still with them. God still had a word for them. How do I know? Well, Daniel was there. Daniel may not have understood fully what was happening in 606 when he was a 16, 17-year-old boy. But now after all these years, he's got a purpose. He can minister the word of God. And then Ezekiel's there as well. And he's ministering the word of God to the people, encouraging them. So God still had a plan for his people uh, and uh, there was a plan for them and the promised Redeemer. And God kept his word to their fathers. And God honored his truth and brought them back, as he said he would, to their land. This is a wonderful book. It's not boring reading. It's exciting. It excites my soul. It thrills me to remember what God did for his people in the past. And don't we need to see God doing the same thing for us in our days? May God deal with our politicians and those who are, are haters of God, God can take the very ungodly to bring praise to his name, to accomplish his divine purposes. So when we come to pray tonight, we can think about that, about the situation with the new prime minister, the situation with their politicians, the darkness, the wickedness that's abounding, these terrible things, abortion and gender issues, the whole lot. 
Let's pray about these things. Let's get down before God. Seek the Lord together. Brother Andrew uh, Linden, if you'd like to lead us, brother, thank you.